You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. When your love has moved away, you must face yourself and you must say, I remember better days. Don't you cry cause she is gone. She is only moving on, chasing mirrors through a haze. Yeah, so the name of the book is No Bad Ways, and uh, with a little subtitle called Talking Story with Mickey Munoz. So I'll read what follows. There are no bad waves, only a poor choice of equipment and a lousy attitude. A wave is universal energy, changing in response to environment and circumstance. Any wave can be ridden if you combine the right tools with the body and spirit. Matching the board to the wave lets you flow instead of fight. Attitude is the ultimate piece of equipment. No matter how good the wave or how tuned your board, a lousy attitude definitely ruins your day. Surfing is dynamic and constantly changing. Flow with the power and dance with the wind. Welcome back to part two of our interview with Mickey Munoz. This is Surf Splendor, and I'm your host, David Scales. If you haven't yet listened to part one of our interview with Mickey, I encourage you push pause on this interview right now. Go back and download part one and listen to that first. It's two episodes ago on Surf Splendor. And Mickey, he he gives his take on modern surfing with his opinions about John John Florence, Kelly Slater, Gabriel Medina, but he also unpacks his history, talks about his experiences early on in Malibu with iconic kind of pioneer surfboard shapers, Joe Quigg, Matt Kivlin, his experience seeing Phil Edwards for the very first time, and then also discusses in detail his relationship with Mickey Dora and how that helped our Mickey define his own sense of morality and his own code of ethics. So that's a great intro into this conversation. So again, go back, listen to that, and then come back and click play right here. All right? I know you didn't come to listen to me talk. So without further ado, part two of our interview with Mickey Munoz.
Um, I, I, you know, through surfing, um, because I I worked in the first Gidget movie, I I got in in SAG and and which was hard to you know it was expensive to get into and and hard to get into, and so it was an opportunity to do that so i i ended up doing some stunt work and yeah what was your exact role in the film in gidget well i i i got to um uh, do some uh, doubling for sandra d in the surf side of it um because i'm you know uh, short enough and I used to, my line is, I used to look good in a bikini, but now my skin is wrinkled, my tits are sagging. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I tried to teach her how to surf, and, and you know, she was this skinny little uh, Hollywood starlet who was great, ended up being a really good actress, but, you know, it's fall, the water's cold, you know, she, no wetsuits, and, yeah. and you know, it was really hard for her, so... Um, so I got to do some of the stunt work. I worked on the set as, you know, doing as a lifeguard, as a as a grip, as a, you know, all all around because it's second unit and, and on the beach. So I got a summer of work out of it and, and in, better pay than normal. In the film, are you surfing then? Or is there footage of you surfing in the film? There, there is some, and I think I'm doing a tandem thing. I okay. can't even remember. In fact, <laughs> there's a big Gidget event coming up this weekend at Coronado, and I, uh, it's a Gidget documentary or something, and they're making a big deal out of it. So I'm, I'm, I'm off for there. I'll probably see myself on screen. Oh, wow. So they're asking you to participate in the documentary? Oh, or? oh they've already done the doc. Got it. Yeah, Got it. so this is this is just kind of a, a screening. But anyway. Gotcha. So, uh, but the other, I did get to do, um, 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 I, I got to uh, double Mickey Rooney in a, in a TV series called Mickey. And so he and I are about the same height and a little different shape, but same, same name, Mickey. And, and, uh, and I hired on to do this, this water skiing stunt. I'd never water skied in my life. And I hired on as an expert. And so luckily a friend of mine took, took me down with his ski boat and gave me a half a day lesson in, in, water skiing and and he was a really good athlete was by the way and and also was probably a way better stuntman than me but they you know they can't gamble on on him sure and i don't know that he had water skied and, and it was a pretty tricky uh thing i kind of introduced a surfboard into the stunt business and one of the i mean basically mickey rooney's getting water ski lessons from this woman instructor and she and I are standing on the dock and we were holding on to the ski line and it's coiled up on the dock and we're standing in our skis and and uh, and she's giving instruction and and this the ski boat takes off uh, thinking that that they signaled and so I fly off the dock and and on two skis, land in the water um, and, and land on my back, and then and then I get towed 
on my back with my skis over my head, which is not so easy. Sure. And and of course the instructress gets pulled off the dock, but she's now skiing and she comes over and rescues me and then I climb and we do this tandem ski thing. I kick my skis off and So you've got to go from laying on your back being planed across the water now to, to climbing on, on her. her yeah. Got and it. So this is not an easy stunt to pull off. Yeah. And and so uh, I finally, I, I, I made a, a board, uh, a plywood board that I strapped underneath my shirt onto my back so that I had a better planing surface. Sure. And I, I, I wasn't strong enough to hold onto the ski line and get pulled onto a plane, so I had the ski line tied into that piece of wood right okay. coming out of the back of my neck oh my gosh and and then they would launch me off my surfboard i'd get on the back of my board with the nose sticking up and the guy the guy would punch it and pull me on the you know on the board till the board purled and i'm now planing right okay so i pulled it off a, a, you know four or five or six or eight takes right like that but one time, instead of planing up, I planed down, and the guy didn't turn around. And this is before, you know, they didn't have walkies, and they, you know. No safety was, crew was, on hand. It was pretty loose, you're right. Sure. So the guy pulls me down underwater, and luckily, I broke the ski line. It oh. It broke. Because it would have planed you oh, I was way planing, under. Oh, I was planing down. Down, 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 down. Okay. At speed. I mean, we're talking full-on inboard. V8 right. Cadillac engine in the speedboat, you know, in the in the boat. I mean, or a straight eight. I don't remember, but it was a yeah. big engine, big, you know, powerful right ski boat, and and yeah. I mean, I was just this rag doll on the end, and but, but the line the end, broke. So in the you, end, we pulled it off. Okay, right? we did pull it off, and so they rehired me to to do stunts. Sure, in the following. Uh, episodes and, oh, okay. and so I did some fights and falls and stuff like that and actually Mickey because he was I'd never done that either you mm-hmm. know? so he kind of took me under his wing and showed me you know how to do all that stuff and so, awesome so yeah. you had a little friendship well a little bit you know I mean what whatever you can you know on the set you yeah know? and and so Anyway, the the series didn't sell. I mean, they did 13 weeks, and I probably worked on three shows or four right. shows or something. But it was something. And, oh, yeah. And then I never, you know, and then to drive, again, you know, being a surfer, driving driving to Hollywood to hustle. Yeah. You know, I, I just, that wasn't in me. And, and I knew people, and whenever there was a, a you know, a water something to do you know you You'd know, get the call was appropriate i get hired so i did some other stuff well let me ask you this i did I'm, some diving things too you know where i worked for you know we did um uh, we blew up the capo pier and yeah the pier in long beach and i want to get into that um but let me ask you first like with gidget specifically because it was a surf movie you know i mean the other work it's surf related but it's not viewed by the public as a kind of exploitation of surfing gidget i think 
the critics would argue that like this is going to make Malibu more crowded next year after this movie comes out. No question. Did you have any apprehension or regrets after doing it in that respect, or are you proud of the work? I mean, what did wh- how did what role does it play in your life? Um. No, the only thing I'm proud of is I came up with the line. <laughs> my skin, I used to look good in a bikini. That's now a good now line. It's wrinkling my tits or sagging. It uh, is a good line. Um, I mean, you know, surfing was already coming of age even before that. San Fernando Valley was driving out Malibu Canyon and learning to surf at Malibu. I mean, even before Gidget, it was like, well, maybe we should design this this kit that you can buy in the in the surf shop that's a the tail of a surfboard that you can strap onto the back of your car and, oh, okay. and then, you know, and put a towel under it and call yourself a surfer and not have to go in the water. So, okay. I mean, by then, already it was, I wouldn't say saturated, but it was coming popular. And Permeating. that's why Hollywood, that's why Hollywood made the film to begin with. Right. Because there was, you know, surfing was already coming of age. So, I mean, kind of in the Dora consciousness, if I don't do it, somebody else will. Well, you know, I'm married. I got a couple of kids. I need the work. I can use the money. Yeah. It's better money than I, I could make any other way and something I love to do, you know, and why not? Yeah. And, and it, it kind of got me into the, you know, into SAG and stuff where, you know, I ended up doing some commercials and some other stuff. So all, all through my life, it's, it's, you know, it's been a little bit of income here and there and fun to do. How did um, shaping surfboards fit into that professionally? Was it simultaneous while you were getting occasional acting work? And did you get into shaping surfboards to make a living or did you have kind of design ideas that weren't being met by the other guys shaping boards that you needed to you know create for your own surfing yeah i think it was a combination of both okay i mean i i i needed to make a living and what better way to make a living than to design and shape your own boards and 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 you know uh, when 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 we did the the Tom Mori nose writing contest, um, you know we 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 conceived of a nose writing design, and and so I went to Phil because Phil was the master shaper, and and he and I could talk, you know, surfboard design. And so we kind of conceived of that design together, and Phil shaped it. So, um, and it became incredibly it, important. Well, pretty good. I mean, I guess you know there is some controversy about actually who won that, but you know, they gave me first prize. So, what was the controversy? Well that that there had been a miscounting of time or something and and so uh you know there was uh at one time there was a thinking that mike henson might have won it not me and and anyway and it was a you know anyway whatever whatever it was you know it ended up as it 
ended up and and the design concepts that we came up with turned out to be very valid and right. even today are still incorporated you know uh, subtle parts of that design are still incorporated in 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 boards today so right. um, you know out of out of this specialty stuff uh, you know um, you know when you take a design and you take it all the way out to the extremes right. you learn from it and yes it's extreme yeah it did it did nose ride really well but it didn't do something else very good mm. so you take what you learn out there and you incorporate it with some other stuff and you try and come up with this this you know not everybody can have two dozen boards and not right. everybody wants two dozen boards because there are a lot of because the ocean is so dynamic that one wave might dig you know you might want that great nose rider but it, the next wave after that you might want something else so you know you're really trying to find this 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 kind of medium that that works pretty good all around unless you're okay we're at chopu now and we're yeah. doing stand-up barrels you know double triple overhead barrels okay this is what i want for that right and so but but most surfing isn't like that sure so so i got into shaping because you know back to my quig days of being a paperweight and back to you know trying to make my own board and 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 having ideas and wanting wanting to express those and and make a living too i mean how could it be better yeah it's it's about as good as it gets yeah it's a circle you know it helps complete that circle of being a being able to ride and 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 make what you ride well talking about your shaping career specifically um you went to work for hobie for some time yep um were there any other labels that you worked under along the way or i i I shaped for Donald Takayama a little bit. That's right. Um, I actually wasn't good enough to shape for him. He's really a good shaper, a perfectionist, and and um, um, but I did, you know, I yeah. did shape shape boards for him, and I guess they were acceptable. But I always respected his his designs, and not necessarily that that was my idea of design but i respected his design sure. for what he did and he was an incredible shaper so and a, and and from a quality standpoint the quality of his boards were just exquisite right and so i and i would and assume not that hobies weren't too, no of course because i think they were but you could probably glean from each of those people when you're working side by side with them I would think oh for sure and improve your own oh, for skill sure. set so you know I, I I've always cherished being able to share that you know with other shapers and you know of course my my brother-in-law Terry Martin you know was one of the best of the best shapers and you know I loved watching him shape I'd yeah. go in and watch him shape and we'd talk design and shaping and forever and ever and and uh, and feel the same way although 
Phil and I didn't totally agree on designs, but master craftsman, incredible craftsman and artist. Yeah. What um, Did you have your own label throughout those years on the side, or when did that come about? I did. Um, um, I'm not an entrepreneur. You know, point me in the right direction, and I'll hopefully I'll get there. But, but um, uh, I... You know, I was a Hobie team writer, and then and then you know Hobie started doing doing uh, name designs, and okay. so you know there was a Corky Carroll design, and and Mike Pur or uh, I'm having yeah Mike Purpose actually he I think he did did some too, and and anyway, all through the Hobie era. Uh, he had he had named writers and would have designs and and you know and I got to shape a lot of those as well as as I had my own yeah and my own label which Hobie manufactured and and marketed and sold okay to supplement. Do you still shape today? I do. To what uh, degree and? I mean, are you just working exclusively with custom orders that people ask you for? Or? Uh, no, I kind of got away from that a little bit because um, I, I, I wanted to concentrate more on prototyping for, for uh, you know, I got involved with Surf Tech with Randy French, and, and Randy had come up with a, a process, a proprietary process for, for production type board and and it had been done in the past but never had been done in the quality and 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 um, the the quality that 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 Randy uh, came up with and so I could kind of see the hand the writing on the wall that being a production shaper um, yeah there was a time when you could make pretty good money doing it um, but but because of the way the industry had gone and so forth, uh, there was less and proportionally less and less money in production shaping. It's a lot of freaking work. And, oh yeah. And and I could see that, you know, the computer is only as good as the input, hmm. right? Sure. It takes an artist to input it, and so the argument, well, they're not hand shaped. Well, yeah, yeah, they are. That that original prototype was not only hand shaped but tuned for years and years and years and years and years. It's the it's the a composite of all that experience and and yeah, there were some learning learning curves in there because you're working with different materials that have different different characteristics. But but the upside is that guess what? Actually, the manufacturer the distributor all of all the people that are in line in the business of making surfboards can actually make a living doing it right i mean that's sustainable that's sustainable and you as the customer you're getting a board that's more durable it's it you can replicate it so let's say you you go to hawaii or rather than schlepping a surfboard in a bag through the LA International 
and and paying the price to get it on the airplane and all of that, you can rent or buy or ship pre-ship a board over there and leave it, and and you hurt if you the board gets run over or whatever, you can go to the store and buy one just like it that you can rely on. Right. right? Where custom, yeah, hopefully every new custom board is better than the last one, but that doesn't necessarily follow. So, sure. So there were some a lot of advantages to it, and 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 so I kind of saw that and and got on board with Randy early on, and in fact, at that time I was I was uh, Bill Stewart was manufacturing Hobie the Hobie label boards, and I was shaping for. And he was doing my label also, and and so I was basically shaping production boards yeah. for Bill Stewart, yeah. who was having them glassed and and marketing and selling them or selling them right. So Bill kept going, oh no, you shouldn't get involved with that. No, don't get the you know da 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 and. I finally went, you know what, Bill, I got to make a living just like you. And, and right now, you don't have enough orders to, to satisfy what I need to make a living. So I'm going to go do something on my own here, mm-hmm. which is what you would do. Yeah. Which he would have done. Sure. And so that's what I did. And so I walked in the back door of his shop with the very first sample 11 footer that I made for surf tech and Terry was there and a bunch of other shapers and stuff and they're all eager to see it and they're going wow this is really light and I you know they're looking at it and going yeah it's really nice the finish is good it's really professional it looks great Bill walked in you know and he he kind of looked at the board and he goes can we jump on it I go heck yes Let's both jump on it. So we put it fin down on the on the floor, and Bill and I got right in the center of it and jumped up and down. Phil, and Bill looks at it, eyeballs it, kind of went, hmm. You know, I could just see this little wry smile on his face. That afternoon, he called Randy, and he had a model. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Converted him. Yeah, well temporarily okay then he got then he decided that no this was hurting his business and this wasn't a good thing and he he wrote some pretty vehement articles against against him and pulled his model from surf tech so, okay but but randy went into it and he goes okay i could come into this and undercut the market because there's enough margin but i'd rather come in at the same level as custom with and just espouse the advantages sure you know i'm not saying they're better than or way better than yeah. but here are the advantages you make your choice you can have one of each or right. two of each sure right um i'm going to come in at the same dollar level right and and but everybody in line mickey you're going to make a nice 
um, you know, nice royalty on this. Um, the manufacturers making their money. Randy Surftech gets their cut. The the you know the distributors yeah. and the retailers are and the retailers were making more than on on a. I mean that board originally landed in California was less than you could buy the materials to make a custom board. Where was the production being done? Thailand. Okay. So at a very very advanced um, a facility that made high very high level uh, composite. Yeah. Um, not only boards, but other other things for aerospace and stuff. You've ridden enough of the surf tech boards and enough polyurethane traditional custom boards. Uh, strictly from a surfing surfing standpoint, can you identify a difference between the two? Or yeah, so polyester urethane foam. Um, Poly, polyester resin compared to epoxy resin is almost night and day. Sure. Polyester resin is not as strong. It's a different chemical linkage than the, than the epoxy resin. So, so you get a new custom um, polyurethane, polyester, uh, created board when they're new they're great sure they work great kids though you know the boards kept getting thinner and thinner and thinner and and lighter and lighter and lighter and so and the kids are doing you know there's more impact on the board so every time that board flexes it's cracking microscopically and and you know kids kids would come into the shop and go oh my board's waterlogged no no I don't think so I bet if we weighed your board when it went out of this door until you put wax on it you know you weigh it now and weigh the wax and weigh if it's got any dings that you've fixed yeah. and, and whatever um, you know that board's going to weigh pretty close to what it weighed when it went out the door it's not waterlogged it's dead yeah it's you've you've broken down the matrix to the point where it's no longer recoiling and so early on because I had been building boats and composite boats I changed my whole quiver over to epoxy not necessarily um, um, EPS EPS but but even with urethane foam the epoxy resin composite was a better better choice and it turns out that EPS because of the nature of the core, you know, you'd think from a engineering standpoint, we'll use Clark foam blanks as the as a role model as a model. Um, when they're pressure blown in the in the molds, it's pretty ideal because they they expand and as as they expand and the and the and the foam goes to the to the to the edges of the mold if you will mm -hmm. um, it gets compressed so if you were to cut that blank in half a cross section and look at it the center cells would be <coughs> more open and as you get to to the skin on the outside of the blank 
they get more dense. Well, that's a pretty ideal, from an engineering standpoint, that's pretty ideal. But surfing is this sort of dynamic um, where where the board is <coughs> part of the, the, the characteristics of the board is its flex, hmm. how it's reacting, right? Flex-wise, and and again back to the polyester urethane example. After two months of 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 you know 180 pounds up and down and pounding on that on that two and a half inch thick board, it's lost all its flex and yeah. recoil. Where epoxy is a much stronger matrix, and it it if you combine it with the right materials that flex pattern is a lot different oh epoxy boards float higher no they don't they don't float any higher you take a epoxy board you take a it doesn't matter what the board's made out of if it weighs the same and displaces the same it's going to float the same pretty much right when you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. The difference between the two is that the epoxy uh, EPS foam boards are, are not bending as far, and they're recoiling quicker. Sure. So apparently when you're paddling them, they're floating higher, only because you're not bending them and mushing them out yeah. as much as you would with a polyester urethane board. So back to the molded board. The molded board, um, because of its structural nature, is more is stiffer than both epoxy or polyester. And consequently, it took a little bit more in design to compensate for that, and some people just don't like it. Yeah. Because they're used to what they're used to, and maybe in their own mind they can't accept it. I don't know, 
preconceived yeah but but you know you slightly change your style or whatever i'm not saying it's for everyone no and of course i'm not saying it's going to be better than a custom board um and i but but it definitely has its place and when we started dialing in the designs the weight to strength to to flex characteristics the the production boards got a lot better and better and better and better as they went along and, right and and you know if you did a double blind test right i bet you'd be hard pressed to find very many people that could tell the difference right okay can i offer you a an analogy yes. and ask you your Please. opinion on it sure i'm into wine i like wine okay and Kendall Jackson makes a manufactured style of wine that is replicable from vintage to vintage, and you can go to any grocery store in the country and find that exact wine. 2011 tastes the same as 2010. I don't really drink Kendall Jackson wine. I'm not looking for the replicable Coca-Cola experience, but my favorite wines come from wineries that it's a farmer working his land that maybe he got from a previous generation, his father and their father. So there's all this history steeped into the land. And technically, the wines have flaws. And one vintage may be significantly flawed. And one vintage may be a home run, you know, and that's the one you fall in love with. But you go to the winery every couple years, or there's one specific wine that a friend gave to my wife and I one time when we were in Napa, took it to dinner. We loved the wine. Consequently, we buy every vintage through their mailing list. Just every year, we're going to buy it no matter what. And it isn't to do with the fact that the wine is technically perfect. It's to do with the fact that we drank it together at dinner in Napa that first time. And we know the winemaker and his wife and their dog. And we've been in the vineyard and there's all this sentiment attached to it. And even though one vintage may be technically flawed, I appreciate that flaw. And I like the characteristic of that flaw because i know all this sentiment attached to it you know and when that perfect vintage comes i enjoy that even more because of all this history i have with that wine and so price always matters of course but you know you're buying into all this history and that the romance of it i guess and so i kind of use that as an analogy with surfing sometimes where it's like I'm going to buy a board from this particular shaper just because I know how hard the guy works and I know that his hands toiled away and I know his family and that this money is going to every dollar matters to him, you know? So, uh, I don't know what the question is, but I offer that as an analogy for surfing where I could, I can hear the listener criticizing the, uh, the surf tech model in that it's stripped away maybe some of the romance of the experience and and yeah i i mean there's no question uh, about that but but if you look at it like the vintner who is a shaper yeah exactly you just described shaping you know yeah there are good years and bad years and you know some of them are hits and and some of the flaws you learn from and and so if i if i shape if i shape a prototype for a production board to be done where 
Well, I got in a huge, I got in a huge issue with, with, uh, um, with a known shaper, uh, designer, businessman, uh, some years back before he died, actually, um, we're having a forum and, and it's a similar analogy was brought up and, and, you know, a lot of resentment against, against, uh, using the computer design right. and, and and boards that were shaped by a machine, right? Yeah. And and I'm going, well, wait a minute, you guys. So you guys have never done a close tolerance um, Clark foam blank? You've never shaped one? I don't think so. I think you have, and I think you've shaped thousands of them, and I know why. The blanks are so close that if you knew where to put the fin, you wouldn't even have to glass the board. You mm-hmm. could actually surf that blank. Right. They're not that bad. Why did you do that? Why did you shape those and you didn't hack down a tree and start with this, yeah. you know, piece of lumber? Right. Why didn't you do that? Because guess what? You know, you got tired of eating air sandwiches. You had to make a living. You had to. You had to. You know, and you wanted to go surfing, so you you made it as easy as you could to replicate your ideas that you've got 50 years of past uh, coming up with. Okay. What's wrong with that? The art is there. Okay, and I and I'll go back to your your analogy of 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 the sentiment and yeah. And, and all of that of having that first great bottle of wine with your wife and, and how good it was. And I can remember that wave of fills. Right. Um, would it be better if I had had a camera and shot the, a, a, a video of that wave? That video's in my mind. It, um, it arguably would dilute it if you were viewing it through the viewfinder. Well... I know you're not, you know, not everybody's going to be in the shore break at Waimea Bay when it's triple, quadruple overhead. Yeah. But uh, what's his, uh, I'm having a brain fade. Who? Help me. Who? Who does it? Oh, Clark Little. Clark Little. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Clark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're fabulous. I, know. I mean, you're, you know, here's an artist who's in there, you know, shooting, I mean, is that like a fine wine, or, or would, or would you want to be in that shore break every day, sort of? I personally the wouldn't. No, no. So, <laughs> I don't. Anyway, maybe that's a poor uh, no. way of looking at. It. But, but, I think both is valid. I mean, I, you're perfectly valid with what you talked about, and mm-hmm. and I can only rationalize say that. Oh well. Here's one other point that I had to make with with the yeah. same argument that yeah. that you know have you guys done Clark phone blanks? I go well, you know what this has done for me, this production board is the checks in the mail. What it's done is it's freed me up to be an artist. Right. It's freed me up to be able to to create new designs and new ideas and go out and and actually test them, and 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 keep progressing, you know, 
and not saying that production shaping is digressing because it isn't but it i i i want to see a base i like the base where that clark phone blank if it's perfect it gives me a it gives me a canvas that i can make uh subtle changes right. to one change at a time and i can i can then follow that through the process and and you know find out where i was where i am and where i hope to be right and so well i think what you mentioned i've actually thought about before which is the surf tech model isn't a model that doesn't include uh artistry and thought and all of the uh shapers past experiences it actually includes all of that stuff to a more significant degree and like you said with more years of refinement behind it so it's actually the goal is to be replicable but to get to that stage to be replicable all of the artistry went into it exactly so i get that too and, for sure yeah the and replication then, process is where some of that is taken away but it was all there in the beginning to get that's there right. yeah and and so now freed up as an artist again right. and then i can take that i can take i'll give you an example uh early on in the in the in the sup uh era right my 12 foot surf tech was one of the few boards that was big enough for the average paddler to stand on and paddle. Mm -hmm. So using that as a base and and being able to replicate it, um, I wanted to explore, okay, what, okay, had I been a true genius, I would have made that board two or three inches wider. I would have been king, but you know, yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. but but I didn't. So so here it is. It's it's still a paddleable. You can paddle it, stand up paddle it. I mean, say you as a beginner would have a little. You're a bigger guy. You'd have a little more problem on it than I would because I'm shorter and lower center of gravity and. And lighter, and so I I would have an easier time learning on that board than you would. But, but, but I wanted to find out what the differences were in bottom contour. So I took one of my twelve foot boards, which even in the production deal, it's not perfect, 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 perfect. Okay. They're they're. You know, but it's about as close as you can get. I mean, as good as Terry was at shaping, Terry Martin, um, you know, it, it was really hard to replicate an exact copy because he could do pretty well shaping, but then glassing is a little bit different. You know, the atmospheric conditions are different. The resin batch was different. The cloth batch was different. The glasser was different. And of course. So all of these factors weigh into the end result. Um, so I took one of my, my 12-foot boards. It was pretty darn as close to the original as could be. And I drew an outline on the bottom. I I took a tool and and cut cut through all the skins and everything into the foam. And I peeled that bottom off. I concave the bottom and then I vacuumed that piece back down on it. 
and I concaved the bottom just to see whether it added to stability, what it would do to the overall design. Hmm. Well, in concaving, it takes a little rocker out of it. In concaving, it, it, it did seem to add to some stability. In certain conditions, it, it was paddled faster because it was a little more stable. Um, Surfing-wise, I probably would prefer it without the concave. Okay. And now that I'm a better paddler, I probably could paddle the the softer bottom faster than the concave bottom okay. one. But it definitely, I I learned a lot from that, and and so that's why I can justify, at least in my mind, the close tolerance. Clark foam blank or the machine shaped uh, blanks that most shapers are doing as Velzi so aptly put it shapers today are scrapers not shapers and it's true yeah. you don't even have to turn your planer on anymore Yeah, um, that's good that planer is heavy it makes a lot of noise it makes a lot of dust you bad know? for your back and it's, <laughs> yeah it's hard. physically it's hard on yeah. you, you know so okay I don't have to use a planer every day that's good yeah. for me and again, because the checks in the mail, I, I can I can spend a little more time mucking around, right. doing an experiment like I did with my twelve foot board and learn something. So, yeah, um, yeah, I like that. Um, it expedites the learning curve, basically. I think so. But the ultimate question is kind of what you said earlier: was if it was just a double blind study, like if you gave me one board. Or gave me two boards, one of each, and I took them out in the exact same conditions, rode the exact same wave. This is obviously a fictitious study that could never take place. But if you could, then what would I pick? You know what I mean? That's all it comes down to. And there's no way to do that study, unfortunately. So so to add a little interest to your wine, okay. uh, <laughs> wine thing, I have a friend uh, in Mexico that's a wine kind of wine connoisseur and yeah. he's a very bright funny guy and and uh, and I don't know whether he came up with it or not but 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 uh, according to his and he he deals with some very wealthy people that that are into wines that are not afraid to pay a thousand dollars plus for a bottle of wine right and when you're talking price you know yeah you know Trader Joe's five dollar bottles <laughs> as opposed to you know yeah. their two buck chuck, you know, as a qualitative five, but yeah, but much over that. <laughs> anyway, uh, double blind test, uh, uh, and my my wife being a little more traditional was appalled by it, but into a blender, turned the blender on, blended for about thirty seconds. Pour it into a crevasse. A crevasse. Craft. 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 Crevasse. Yeah. <laughs> Pour it into that crevasse. <laughs> and 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 his vintner friends say their motto is, you know, life is too short to wait for wine to breathe. So okay. they're all over it. And we've done the sort of double blind test with it. So, so so it's the same wine blended versus non-blended no, ver, versus non-blended so Got it. so if you want to test it on your own pour half the bottle in the blender and take the other half and you know we use a you know we use one of the mixer spouts and Venturi 
Venturi thing to help yeah. uh, breathe it a little quicker, and 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 every single time the blended wine was, it just aerates wine, it faster, basically. Aerates it faster, but doesn't damage it in any way. Well, you wouldn't do a, you know, you'd want to filter a thousand dollar bottle sure. of wine if you did it, and okay. maybe you'd want to breathe. Breathe a thousand dollar bottle in the traditional manner, but okay. But the inner, I'd love to get your feedback. On I'll <laughs> I'll try it. I'll blend my next bottle. And see at how least it goes. no, he had a plastic blender too, mm -hmm. and which just you know, Peggy just went you right. At least I said ours is glass. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. And this all happened in Baja. This was down they make there. good wines down oh, there. They make some right, very nice. Wines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Guada Guadalupe Valley is that what yeah. it is? Yeah. yeah, we drive through there all the time. I mean, we're you know because we drive down there. Yeah, so. yeah. So you have a house down there? Is well, that? We, yeah, we have a place in on the East Cape. So nice. Yeah. So how much time do you divide your time then between Baja and uh, Southern California? Uh, we just started. Uh, okay. Peggy retired. Uh, she was a special ed teacher and retired uh, last Christmas. So, okay. So we spent. Uh, four or five months this last year and we'll probably spend at least that amount of time this year how much time do you spend traveling outside the country nowadays for surfing well that would be our, of course our big one but but you know every other year every two or three or four years we you know i get a chance to go to australia or you know i did that chasing dora thing in south africa and and you know I've done the Biarritz thing in Europe, and and um, you know, so it all. I mean, I don't. Unfortunately, traveling these days is not only very expensive, but flying is like such a drag. It really is. It really is. It sucks, and and especially if you're bringing boards. Yeah, you know, and and I'm I'm I've been a you know I've been enough places and around enough. I don't have this great yearning to have to go somewhere you know yeah and um and and uh you know like in my book you know no bad waves there are no bad waves only a poor choice of equipment and a lousy attitude and attitude being the most important and so i think that relates to kind of our conversation about surf tech a little bit where we're getting so caught up in the mire of this discussion and what's ethically right and wrong when in reality whatever the appropriate equipment is i mean you have a lot of experience body surfing the wedge that's a chapter in the book and longboarding and stand-up paddling and everything in between and it really seems like you said there's no bad ways it's all about your attitude if you want to get fussy about where the board came from, you'll not enjoy the experience as much, you know? Or that's just part of the great ambiance of, of, of being a passionate surfer, too. So it's not wrong. It's just, um, you know, I mean, I'm really fond of thinking and saying, you know, it doesn't matter how good you are, or where you're riding, or what you're riding, it, it, in the, at the end of the day, it, it's measured in increments of smile, you know. Yeah. That's how it went. Yeah. And and you know, there every day is a good day. Some are better than others, but every day is a good day. Yeah. The glass is always half full. Can you tell me a little bit about the chapter, the Fountain of Youth? Uh, 
Yvonne Chouinard uh, invited me to uh, do an Indonesian trip and a boat trip and 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 we're on that trip with his son and and a couple of his son's friends and and uh, anyway we got to surf all the hot shit breaks and and, and you know good bad or indifferent we we did it right what and, how old were you at this point or how long ago is this oh, it was well i'm 77 now so it was 10 12 years ago something like mid-60s that. So i'm in my 60s right? got it and 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 i'm st- still able to surf well enough i could pull it off and 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 uh, uh, one of the incidences that led up to this final Fountain of Youth uh, thing was uh, we're we're riding Scar Reef, and there's a good reef, a good reason it's called Scar Reef because anybody that surfed there at any length of time is usually covered with scars. It's a pretty gnarly break, and and and. Uh, you know we're anchored real close to it and and early in the morning there's no one out i paddle over by myself and catch a few waves and then the couple of the younger guys on the trip uh paddled out in fact one of them i think was i think he was 17 or something and i dropped into this terrifying barrel managed to come out and and I just came out of it and shot over the top of the wave with this big shit-eating grin on my face, and and you know and the kid was just like totally dazzled. So the youngest guy and the oldest guy in the trip, and I was like 50 years older than he was, and so you know I just I kind of smiled. I went, I don't think I have to surf anymore today, <laughs> and I just paddled back to the boat. Really? Yeah. So so. Uh, you know, the next day uh, we were on a 60-foot all-steel catch, and and the next night we're headed around towards Desert Point, which is reputedly one of the best waves in the world. And and uh, so we're 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 in the middle of the night. You know, the trades are blowing, and we're we're reaching, which is a more or less ideal point of sail for that boat. We've got the the diesel engine is on at the same time, um, uh, thousand horsepower diesel engine in it, and and we're trying to get around this point, and it took us four and a half hours to go the next four miles because of the current. The current was so strong. Well, the current was headed in the direction of the desert point going into the face of the wave. So now, you know, we're anchored quarter of a mile from the point, paddle over to the point, the tides ride for it and everything. And you have to imagine these waves are coming from the the uh, Antarctica, pretty much unimpeded, you know, deep water, unimpeded, that swell is marching into to Desert Point, and if you pictured the the point as the axis of a the wheel on a bicycle, and the spokes were the waves, that's kind of what it looks like. You just revolve that wheel, and those those spokes are are waves coming into Desert Point. So, unlike 
Scar Reef, Desert Point is an easier takeoff, but as as it progresses out towards the rim, if you will, that wave gets bigger and gnarlier as mm. it goes. Well, inside is a is a reef that's exposed, maybe foot or two out of the water. You've got this horrendous ten knot current going straight into the wave face, and you are now opposing that current, right? So the illusion of speed is just phenomenal. Hmm. I mean, besides, it's like a mac and barrel wave. Yeah. So I'm on a one of the set waves of the day, and and I'm I'm. You know, to to ride a wave like that, you have to be positive in your mind. You oh, have yeah. to go. I am going to make this wave, no problem. Absolutely, I'm make it right. What were you riding, by the way? Um, I was riding that board right there, which is an eight-foot balsa uh, kind of pintail gunny board. Three fin. Three fin thruster. Okay. So I'm pretty much hauling ass in this wave and I'm I'm again because you have to be positive I'm going there's no way in hell I'm going to make this wave <laughs> this is unbelievable right I'm so far behind it seems like in my mind right that I'm not, but I've got to keep you trying got to go you don't want it yeah, yeah you don't want to can't stop, straighten right? out well unbeknownst to me Yvonne has has uh, broken his board in three pieces he is standing on the reef now in standing on the dry reef I'm in this double plus overhead barrel which is 20 yards from the reef um, coming down the line headed towards him he's got the tail of this board in his tucked under his arm and he, he doesn't know what to do but he finally goes I can't be standing on the reef I'm out of here and dives off the reef lets the tail of the board go but it's still attached to the leash that's still attached to his ankle and he dives under this this you know freight train wave right and out of the, my periphery i see the tail of the board and i go oh shit i'm gonna hit a turtle i thought it was a turtle oh. i didn't even know what it was but fine but i anyway i keep bending into this thing and i i make it another i you know i couldn't even another hundred yards down the line in this thing and finally just go rocketing through the top of the wave and you know the only way I can really describe it is like taking acid I mean I had this shitty grin on my face I could not get off I was like so ecstatic and so elated that you know, when I paddled back to the boat, and it just lasted and lasted and lasted. It was such an incredible experience because of the illusion of speed and the and the noise of the water and the wind and the whole thing was just this amazing experience for me. Right? Yeah. So, months later, Yvonne calls me and says, "Hey, would you write?" an article for for our catalog because you know the Patagonia catalog is famous for its you know articles on on experiences and so I thought about it and so I wrote about that that experience and 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 to sum it 
the only way I could think of summing it up, and the more I thought about it, the more I, I felt like it was the real thing, is that Einstein said that if you and I are sitting here right now and, and you step on a spaceship and, and you rocket away and you can rocket away faster than, than the speed of light, that theoretically you could come back and land and, and you would be younger than when you left. Theoretically. Theoretically. Okay. Well, they're starting to figure out that maybe you can, maybe not us, but there might be things going faster than the speed of light actually now. So, in theory anyway, sure. that's what Einstein said. And in theory, I say that that experience was such a high experience that the illusion of speed was so great that I exceeded the speed of light and came out of that barrel younger than when I got into it. Hmm. And come on, look at Kelly. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's a solid argument. I don't think I have to say more about that. Yeah. I think it sums it up. Yeah. And and that experience can be achieved climbing, you know, base jumping, uh, you know, imagine that guy, what was his name, Bombard, who stepped out at, uh, at 1,000, Yeah, that, that GoPro stunt, yeah. jumping from outer space. You know, and went over 800 miles an hour. Yeah. You know, his body alone, come on. Okay. That guy came out younger than when he left. Well, um, <laughs> I, I completely get what you're saying, and you can achieve it through other things, but... Isn't barrel riding different? I mean, can you achieve that experience in the barrel? I would argue is un unobtainable through any other means. There's other means that might do something that's also really radical, but I don't know. That just sounds so majestic, you know. Well, and and look how lucky we are to be surfers. I mean, dealing with waves. Yeah. I mean, our whole Earth is. Our whole universe is all about waves. Yeah. You know, light waves, sound waves, you know, on and on and on. It's all about waves. And here we are, we're able to not only create the toy to make that wave riding, you know, more efficient, but we're able to ride that wave. Yeah. And and have some feeling and knowledge about it. Right. And and you know, there's another well whether you want me to go into it, but Feel one free. of the other one of the other parts of you know the the book is about talking story, but it's really about um, the experience of riding waves and and the fact that we are surfers and surfing is such a unique experience, and one of the other things that one of the other great um, learning things for me was was the experience of uh, I'm I'm with a painter friend in Baja. He's he's leased some land down there and he's put a trailer on it. And this is this is in the early 70s before Northern Baja was being developed and stuff. I had never watched a painting being painted 
fully painted, right, start mm-hmm. to finish. And he painted in acrylics, and he was really fast, and he's a really good artist and painter. So we're standing on this bluff, looking north, with with the halfway house on the on the bluff, sitting on the edge of the bluff, the ocean to the left, the mountains to the right. We're looking north, and he is painting, and he's. He's using a color on the on the in the mountains, and then he looks over to the ocean and sees a, a opportunity and paints in a wave and, and using that color and and then he gets another color. He's painting into that wave and, and what that wave is looking like and the influence around it because you're looking at you know faded out in the distance. 10 miles up the coast and back a few miles and you know yeah what's happening right there next to him on the left and now he's painting in the field now he's painting in the halfway house now he's over in the mountains and suddenly all this blur of color is now starting to take form and shape and the whole time he's painting the ocean well each time he's painting it it's different right because the wave that just broke is now going up and above water level. Well, it seeks its own, the water seeks its own level, right? So it goes out in the form of a rip or a backwash or a tie, a, a, a idiosyncrasy that influences the following wave and so forth and so on. So, you know, it was for me, a, when he froze that painting finally, when he finally finished the painting and froze that last wave, it was breaking because all behind that wave were these layers of, of influence and time. And I got to realize that our present is really built on the past and how, how the past inf- influences the present and the present will influence the future. So it's, a, it's, it's this ongoing sort of series of waves that, that is your life, basically. And, and Anyway, so to me, it was a huge lesson. Yeah. Um, just in reality. It, it's interesting that that painting uh, was what crystallized that for you. Well, because I could see it so clearly. You know, it was so clear in my, you know, just watching him because he, he did the painting start to finish in two hours. Mm. Boom, 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 just like shaping a board. And, and, you know, again, I think maybe that's why I was so fascinated with, with Joe Quigg sculpting a board because it was all his past, you know. When Joe Quigg made his boat, it was all that past experience, um, surfboards and waves that went into his boat. Yeah. And, 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 and again, you know, you know, back to the computer, back to the machine shaping, back to all of that. Um, to me, that's why um, it's not really. It's important what you your example of the of the wine, but but it's all there no matter how it's expressed. Mm. And and you know, maybe the computers will. You know they're already smarter than I am for sure, but <laughs> and maybe they'll be smart enough to really think that. But yeah, but I don't think so. I think the creativity of the artist will still be um, 
Right. Yeah. A stick, a stone, it's the end of the road. It's feeling alone. It's the weight of your load. It's a sliver of glass. It's life, it's the sun. It's night, it's death. It's a knife, it's a gun. Final question for everybody who's interviewed is, what was the last surfboard that you rode? Um, old surfboard or surfboard? I, either or. What was the last craft that you rode in the ocean? Well, the last, last craft was yesterday at about this time, and I was riding my 710 sup. Made by whom? By me. Excellent. <laughs> and can people... So I... I you know, I shaped it, I designed it, I finned it. And finning, of course, is one of the black arts of surfboard design. And however the board's done, that finning is hugely important. So, you know, that's a whole other art in itself. And, and, and maybe an example of, of how complex and how deep the layers are in 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 surfboard design. Mm. There's so much more to it than the skin, if you will. Yeah. yeah. Was it about that time you get back out in the water today, or? I'm probably gonna ride a few. Perfect. Yeah, I put in about three hours yesterday, so I'm Thank a little beat up right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need. I, in fact, I've surfed so much. You know, I started early in the week of Big Wednesday, and then. Riding ever since every day. That concludes our interview with Mickey Munoz, the basis of which was Mickey's book, No Bad Waves, distributed through Patagonia Books, and we'll have a link to purchase the book on our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com, where we also have plenty of images and video of Mickey doing what he does best. Thank you for tuning in to yet another episode of Surf Splendor. We hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Mickey, and we'll look forward to bringing you a brand new episode next week. This is David Scales signing off for Surf Splendor and saying, ciao. A sigh, a breath, a walk, a run, a life, a death, the rain, the sun, and the riverbank sings of the waters of March. It's the promise of life, it's the joy in your heart. São as águas de março fechando o verão, e a promessa de vida no teu coração. É pau, é pedra, é o fim do caminho, é um resto de toco, é um pouco sozinho, é pau. É pedra, é o fim do caminho Resto de toco, pouco sozinho